Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. It is Christmas time, and there's so many things to love about Christmas. People love the lights. They love visiting family. They love the presents. They love all of the wonderful things that come along with Christmas time. But I think one of the things they love the most is the music. Am I right? How many of you guys love some Christmas music? It's incredible. It stirs us. It moves us. It brings back memories. It makes us nostalgic. Um, and, and so our team, a couple of weeks ago, we thought, man, what would it be awesome just to kind of talk through some of the most famous Christmas carols out there during the Christmas series, kind of tease out some of the theology and maybe try to apply it to our lives. And so we kind of came up with that idea. It turns out it wasn't an original idea, but we thought it was. Um, and so we started it last week. We began with the little drummer boy. And if you were here last week, you saw that, you heard that. Was that a blessing to you guys? Wasn't that fun to do? Um, learned a lot about that song, things I didn't know about that song, that, hey, you know, it really brings honor to God when we take the gifts that we've given, uh, that we've received from him, and give it back to him. That honors Jesus. And in other words, the most successful way to live is to offer him back the gifts that you've received. And that brings a smile to his face. And so if you want to check that out, you can go back and review that uh, on YouTube or our app. Today, we're talking about joy to the world. What an incredible song. Something I didn't know about this song, this Christmas carol, was that it was written in 1719 incredible. It was written by a guy named Isaac Watts. Now, back in those days, they didn't have photography, so they had to draw a picture of him. Uh, this is what Isaac looked like. And apparently, here's how the story unfolds. Isaac Watts was a teenager. He was going to church with his parents, a lot like our, a lot of you guys, teenagers here today, going to church with your parents. And he did not like the music. He despised it. Uh, maybe you had that experience growing up. Hopefully you guys don't feel that way today. Uh, but, uh, but he didn't like the music. So he'd go home and he'd complain to his dad. Like, man, a church is just so boring and the hymns are so bad. And, and so his dad finally said, then write your own. He just said that to him. So apparently he started writing his own hymns. Well, years and years later, he wrote 750 hymns. Incredible. Some of the, the most famous one, I believe, is Joy to the World. But he also wrote, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and many, many others. 1719. The song was actually part of a collection of songs that, that Watts entitled the Psalms of David. They were basically a remix of some of the Psalms. And Joy to the World is actually a rewrite or remix of Psalm 98. When you go home today, you can look up Psalm 98 and you can kind of look at some of the lyrics of Joy to the World and you can see the parallels there. But originally it wasn't a Christmas carol at all. It wasn't a Christmas hymn. It would later become the most famous, the most published Christ, uh, Christmas hymn of all time in the United States, North America. And of course, then it turned into a Christmas carol and we sing it today. And it's one of the most popular Christmas carols of all time. Joy to the world. It's a good message for us today. Do you agree? 
because there's not much joy out there today. Have you noticed? People are upset, people are angry, people are frustrated, people are depressed, people are anxious, they're overdosing on drugs, they're committing suicide. Do you think the world needs some joy today? Oh yeah. So I think this, this song is, is laid out really nice for us and it's gonna be perfect for us because Isaac wasn't just a hymn writer, he was also a pastor and a minister and so he kind of laid out this song like a sermon and I noticed it right away. There's like four points to it and pastors love four, four points, you know, three points, you know, wrap it up at the end. And so it's like, oh wow, I saw that. It's like he gives us four reasons to have joy in this song. And all I want to do today is kind of work through these four points. And it turns, it, it turns out to be a great, a great sermon outline. And so he gives us four reasons to have joy. Let's dive into the first one. The first reason he gives us is that the savior has come. If we look at the first verse in the song, listen to the lyric. It says, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. This is a huge deal. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, it's, 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 it's a book that covers the history of mankind. And it was written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and there are 66 books, and it tells this big, gigantic, long story of the past and even tells us what's going to happen in the future. It's the, it's the greatest book on the planet. I hope that you, that you read it. This part of the story, when the Lord has come, is, is, is just a, a very, very small window of time, that first Christmas morning when God enters the scene as a little, a little baby. But the story had been going on for a very, very, very long time. In fact, 700 years before that first Christmas night, a guy named Isaiah was writing about this day that would, that would come. Uh, in Isaiah chapter seven, he wrote that there would be a woman who was a virgin and she would give birth to a baby and they would call his name Emmanuel, you know, which means God with us. And, and he would, in chapter 53, Isaiah would write that this baby would become a man and he would go on to suffer for the sins of, of mankind and he would take the sins of, of the world upon himself so that the, the people could be forgiven. That was 700 years before Jesus was born. So when Isaac Watts says that the Lord has come, that's a big deal. The people of Israel, the world had been waiting for the Savior. We have trouble waiting for the popcorn to finish in the microwave. <laughs> they had been waiting seven hundreds of years for their Messiah to come into the world. And so when we read this or when we sing this verse, verse, you can't help but think about the Christmas story. If you've seen Charlie Brown, right, you know the story. In Luke chapter 2, this is what we read. There are some shepherds out in the field and all of a sudden this angel shows up and they're freaking out. They're terrified at the sight of this angel and you would be too. And the angels say, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great, say it with me, joy to all people. What is the source of this joy? It's, this, it's what Isaac Watts was talking about, joy to the world. What is it? Look what the angel says. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. See, the coming of Jesus into the war world is a source of joy because he comes to redeem his people. He comes to forgive his people. He comes to bring grace to his people. He comes to reconcile his people back to God. But it's not a given. It's not a given. Just because Jesus came into the world doesn't mean everyone's going to experience joy. I mean, the evidence is everywhere, right? Do you have joy today? Do the people at work that you work with have joy? 
high levels of joy. The people in your home have high levels of joy. The people who are rich and famous in this world today have high levels of joy. Just because Jesus came into this world doesn't mean everyone's gonna experience joy. It makes joy possible. Jesus coming into the world makes it, makes it possible for people to have joy, but it is not a guarantee. And that's why I love the next phrase of the song. Isaac Watts said this, he wrote this, let every heart prepare him room. You see, Jesus, although he will come again one day, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, as a great political leader and he will sit on the throne and he will be a dictator and there'll be no more Republicans and there'll be no more Democrats and there'll be no more senators and no, no more com congressmen. Anybody excited about that? We'll talk about that in a second. Even though he will be a great political leader in the future, he didn't come as a political leader 2,000 years ago. He didn't come as a great teacher, although he was a great teacher. If you follow the teachings of Jesus, your life will work out really well. I promise you, even if you're not a believer, he was a great teacher, but he didn't come as a great teacher. He didn't come as a great political leader. He came to live in your heart. He came to take the spirit that was inside of himself and put it inside of your soul. Jesus came to literally dwell within you. And that's why Isaac Watts says, joy to the world, yes, awesome, but you have to receive your king. You have to open up your heart. You have to receive his spirit. And unless you do that, you will not access that joy. How many of you know people who intellectually assent to some sort of faith in a God or in Jesus, but they're absolutely miserable? Anybody? Is it you today? How many of you know people who intellectually assent to some idea of a, of, a, of a God, maybe even Jesus, but they're the most bigoted, hateful, angry, hypocritical people on this planet? Anybody? See, just because you, you have some sort of belief in God doesn't mean you have joy. You must open up your heart to his spirit and ask him to invade and take up his rightful dwelling place. See, this was the problem when Jesus and Mary, uh, I'm sorry, when Mary and Joseph came into Bethlehem and Mary's like in contractions and she's getting ready to have a baby and they're looking for a place to stay. And well, I'll just read you the story. She ended up giving birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. You know what that is? That's a feeding trough in a barn. Why? Because there was, say it with me, there was no place for them in the end. You know, so many of us, even those of us sitting here today, many of us, even those who intellectually assent to some sort of belief in God, have no place for Jesus in our hearts. And that's why you're not experiencing joy, the joy that you were created for. See, Isaac Watts knew it. He said, let every heart prepare him room. I'm not talking about making time for church. I'm not talking about singing Christian songs. I'm not talking about being part of religion. I'm talking about opening your soul to God's spirit. And that is when we experience joy. Is this making sense, yes or no? Jesus didn't come to set up churches and a religion. He came to live in your heart. And that is a reason for joy. That's the first reason Watts gives us. You say, man, I didn't know that was all in the song. It, well, me neither. I'm just looking at this deal. The second reason that Watts gives us for joy is that the Savior reigns. So important. He reigns. So important for joy. 
Look at the next line in the song. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy. The word reigns is an interesting word. It means to have total and complete authority. If you think of the word sovereign, the last, if you break the word sovereign up into two words, you got sovereign. My wife and I like to watch The Crown. Anybody else? The Crown is kind of a fun, fun show to watch. I really enjoy historical fiction. Um, and one of the interesting things in that show is that they always call the queen, what do they call her? They call her the, the sovereign because the queen had ultimate authority. You know what Jesus said about himself right before he went back to heaven? Matthew chapter 28. He says, all authority in heaven and where? On earth. That's interesting. Because when I turn on the news or when I listen to people talk about what's going on in the world, it doesn't seem like Jesus is in control. It seems like chaos to me. Like when you watch the news and you pay attention to what's going on in our world, up is down, left is right, right is wrong, wrong is right. I mean, the world has lost its mind. Do you agree with this? I mean, murder and rape and abortion and all oh, is just, just craziness going on. We got, we got grown adults, supposedly intellectual, intelligent people who've got PhDs and all kinds of education markers, and all, telling little six and seven-year-olds that, oh, you want to be a boy? You could be a boy if you want to be a boy. Oh, you want to be a girl? You can be a girl if you want to be a girl. In fact, if you want to have a sex change operation, let's get that started. That's the world we live in. People have lost their minds. And when I look at that stuff and hear that stuff and start paying attention to how things have changed in a very short amount of time, I think, wow, Jesus, are you really in control? I start to question it because of how crazy the world is getting, how bonkers the world has got, wars and threats of nuclear war, and, and it's just, just, just madness going on. And by the way, it kind of always has been that way. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but if you read history, I mean, during the times of Hitler, it was like worse. Did you, have you read history at all or looked at that? You know, millions of people being slaughtered every day. I digress. It's chaos. And if I don't, and if you don't, step back, and this is really important for your mental health. This is how I stay mentally sane. It's really the only way. It's to step back and look at all the chaos of the world and all the crime and the hatred and the anger and all the stuff that's going on and the madness. If I don't step back and say, okay, I see that, that the world is going nuts, but Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given. Like, he is still in control. And if I don't tell myself that on a regular basis, I will lose my mind. How about you? And say, well, how does that bring joy? Why should that bring joy? That, that, that's just, I don't, that doesn't make sense. Well, there's, there's, a, there's something that Jesus is going to do with his authority. Have you, have you read the book? I hope you read the book. You got to read the book every day. If you fast forward to the end of the story, which did you know the Bible tells us how this whole ends? If you go to the book of Revelation, the one who has all authority in heaven and earth, even now, even though it doesn't appear that way. And by the way, Jesus did say for a time he was going to let the devil rule and reign. He actually called 
the devil, the prince and power of this world, the ruler of this world. So it's temporary, and that's why a lot of chaos is going on today. It's short-lived. One day, the one who has ultimate authority, do you know the Bible tells us that he's going to return? The king of kings will return. And when he returns, he's going to do something. He's going to, he's going to restore everything. You say, where does it say that? What a great question. You guys are, you guys are on it today. Revelation 21, it says, when Jesus returns, he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. What a line. How in the world can, can there be no more death? Well, there's no more cancer and there's no more murder and there's no more war. There's no more sickness and there's no more dementia and there's no more diabetes. And, 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 and Jesus will, will, will literally remove death, which will remove so much of the sorrow that we experience in this world and the pain and the crying. Look at this. All these things will be, say it with me, all of our campuses, gone forever. Jesus is going to come back, and what is he going to do with his authority? He is going to restore all things. Look at the next line. It tells us, and the one sitting on the throne, that picture is the picture of authority, ultimate authority, no democracy, total, dicta total dictatorship. The one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything, say it with me, new. In other words, everything that we see will be totally transformed. It will not be the way it is today. And so why does the authority of Jesus bring us joy? It's because we know he's in control and one day he is gonna restore all things. So no matter how crazy things look right now or how, how, much, how, much people, uh, how many people lose their ever-loving minds, Jesus is in control. And he's gonna transform everything. And that is a source of joy. You with me? Maybe that doesn't help you, but it helps me. <laughs> the Savior reigns. Number three, what's the third reason for joy? Well, the Savior transforms you. He transforms you. This is the hope of the gospel. Now, the next verse I'm going to read to you out of the song actually is not in the song that we sang today because the modern versions have kind of shortened things up. But this verse is in the original lyrics of Joy to the World. The third stanza says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Now, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I try really hard to be self-aware. I try all the time to do self-reflection and practice self-awareness. What's going on inside of me? What's going, why do I do the things I do? Why do I say the things I say? Why, do, why don't I say certain things? Why don't I do certain things? I'm always trying to understand myself because I'm a human and if I can understand myself, maybe I can understand some other folks. And when I really look into my own life and, and I'm honest about the situation, what I find is a tremendous amount of darkness. What I find is a tremendous amount of selfishness Narcissism, egocentrism, pride, anger, doubt. And I can keep going, but it's kind of shameful. When I really look into my heart, did you know what the Bible says about the heart? My heart and your heart. Jeremiah said this. 
The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? I try to know it. I try to get a grip on what's really lurking deep down inside of me. And when I do look there, I'm not very proud of what I find. It's called the curse. You see, remember the story I was telling you about? The Bible tells this story from the beginning into the future. Right in the beginning of our story, our first ancestors, they blew it. They chose to disobey God. They chose to live outside of the authority of God. They chose to say, God, I can do this on my own. I don't need you. And they believed the lies of Satan and they ate the fruit that they were not supposed to eat. And the consequence of that decision was the curse of sin entering the world. If you've ever wondered why you do the evil things that you do, it's because you are under a curse. The curse of sin. Which is what makes Christmas so incredibly important because what Christmas is all about is God sending Jesus into this world as this little baby born of a virgin placed in a manger in a barn to eventually become a man and at 33 years old pay the price for sin and reverse the curse that has lodged itself in your soul producing darkness. Well, that puts a whole new spin on Christmas, doesn't it? See, what the gospel really says is Jesus wants to invade your soul and cut out the cancer that dwells inside of you, whatever that cancer looks like, and produce something brand new in you, a transformation from the inside out, inside out not the outside in. Listen to how Paul described it in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit produces in, in your life or the result of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you consistently, watch this, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Wow. Can you imagine living a life like this? Can you imagine being a person like this? Replacing all of the darkness with the fruit of the Spirit, that is what the good news is, is all about. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to transform you by placing his Spirit inside of you and removing your old, sinful, selfish nature. How far does the transformation go? Well, that depends upon how much you cooperate with the Spirit and how much you open your heart and allow him to work on your soul. It's a, it's a partnership. How far has the curse gone down into your soul? It's gone down pretty deep into mine. I need a lot of help. I need a lot of Jesus to work on me. But that's the promise of the gospel. I'm not the same person I was five years ago. I hope you're not either. I hope your life is starting to look a little bit more like this year by year by year. And if it's not, you've missed the whole point of Christianity. Because Jesus didn't come to set up buildings and churches and a religion. He came to transform your heart. Imagine with me for a second, if you can. What would your life look like without that eating disorder? What would your life look like without that alcohol addiction? What would your life look like without that lust problem that manifests itself through pornography and masturbation? 
your life look like without that constant jealousy and envy? Can't even stand it when someone else does better than you, makes more money than you, looks better than you. Can't even celebrate when someone does something better than you. That sounds like utter relief. It even sounds like joy. That's exactly what God wants to do in you. Make sense? What's the third reason for joy? Jesus has come to transform us. He reigns and he's coming to the earth. Let's talk about this fourth one, then we'll wrap this up. Number four, fourth reason for joy that Watts gives us in the song is that he rules with truth and grace. He rules with truth and grace. Let's look at the line, fourth, fourth stanza. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love and the wonders of his love and the wonders of his love. Truth and grace. It's the perfect balance that creates this environment for transformation. Think about this with me. If Jesus came at you with all truth, and he just started coming and talking to you about what's true about you and how much you've missed the mark and how many times you've lied, how many times you've lusted and you were sexually immoral, how many times you did this, how many times you did that. If he just gave us truth, 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 how many of us would be able to survive that? We'd be crushed under the truth. Do you agree? I mean, how much truth can you handle about yourself? I'm going to go out on a limb here, okay? Will you let me? Not much. Have you noticed? When someone tells you the truth about you and you know they're right, it's like, we die. It's so heavy, even just a little bit of truth about us and how much we've blown it and sinned and hurt people in the past and fallen short and lied, manipulated, deceived, blah, 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 we're unfaithful. We can't handle much truth about ourselves. Remember, remember, remember the, uh, the movie, The Few, Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson? You can't handle the truth. It's true. You can't. Not much anyway. Which is why Jesus has to come at you with truth and grace. Let's look at what John said in John chapter 1, verse 14. He actually flips these two words. I actually think this is where Isaac Watts got this line for his song. This is what John said about Jesus in the Gospel of John. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of, and he puts, it, he puts grace first and then truth. In the song, Watts flips them and says truth and grace Jesus doesn't, doesn't come at you with, with truth. He comes at you with grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. That's what it is. It's God saying to you and me, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, how many times you've blown it, I'll still love you. In fact, there's nothing that you could ever do to make me stop loving you. Anybody excited about grace? Grace is deeper than the deepest ocean, they say, biblically, theologians say that anyway. But can you imagine if Jesus came at you and I with nothing but grace? No truth at all? Hey, I'm here, and I love you, and everybody come. It's going to be a big party in heaven, and, 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 and everybody's accepted, and, and Hitler can come too. Would you like that? Would you like to hang out with Hitler in heaven? Everybody comes, no matter what. It's an all-skate. Everyone's invited. Imagine if all, all, the only thing Jesus did was brought grace into the world. Nobody would change. 
In fact, a lot of people think that that's what Jesus is, all grace, and that's why they live like the devil for the week, and then you come to church on Sunday and say sorry. And then you do it over and over and over, because you think that Jesus is a big marshmallow man. Ooh, I love everybody. Wipe your sins under the carpet, no matter what, every single time. That's not the case. He, he says to you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, I love you. But we also got to deal with what's true about you. And so Jesus brings truth and grace together, and it's this perfect combination that allows you to keep getting up every time you fail, but also to change your life and become the man or the woman that he's created you to be. Yes or no? This is how God deals with us. This is why in the, in the Bible, when you open up the pages of the Bible, I hope you read it, you see real sinners attracted to Jesus. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst. They were the thieves. They stole people from their own, money from their own people. And other, watch this, notorious sinners, not run-of-the-mill average sinners, like really good sinners. They often came to listen to Jesus. Why? Back in those days, a, a, a rabbi was someone you didn't mix with. You didn't touch. You know, he was holy. He was other. He was separate. In fact, when the rabbis and the, and the, and the priests would leave the temple to go into the market, they would, like, they would get really close to the walls and, and try not to touch the common people. So they wouldn't even touch shoulders. And here it is, Jesus, a rabbi, a teacher of the law, and he's out, and the notorious tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes were coming to him. Why? Was it because he wasn't telling the truth? No, he was telling the truth, but his eyes and his heart was full of grace. And that is how we should treat people, because that's how God has treated us. In fact, that's how God is treating us right now. A couple weeks ago, I met with a friend of mine who was devastated because <clears throat> he's living a homosexual lifestyle and a family member of his essentially cut him off, essentially said, you're not welcome here, and was extremely cold. And he was crushed by this. And he's telling me this story in my office. And when he questioned why, it was, well, your lifestyle is sinful. Okay. He's coming to me, asking me, how do I deal with, how do I navigate this? You know, this, this posture that seems so unloving at best. And so we talked that through, and I said, how many Christians treat people that way? who are, in their opinion, living a sinful lifestyle. Would Jesus do that? Did Jesus do that? Let, 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 me, let me give you a different option here because I think the Bible would teach us to, to, to balance, to, to do it this way. To show tons of grace and love and acceptance and create an environment of grace and it's in the environment of grace and acceptance that we can have a conversation about the truth. And if you try to have a conversation about the truth without the environment of grace and love and acceptance, it's over. And you end up making people feel like you hate them and that you're judging them 
and they want nothing to do with you or the Jesus that you proclaim to follow. Make sense? That's not how God deals with you, so don't deal with people that way. You with me? Grace and truth. It's the perfect balance to make transformation possible. It's a reason we can have joy. Jesus comes to transform us. He comes to to rule and to reign. He's come into the world to redeem us. Christianity is this crazy story of how the divine has entered into the chaos of humanity to, 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 to begin the process of making all things new. And we're caught up in the middle of that story. And in the midst of all that, it's still possible to have joy. In John chapter 15, Jesus was talking about how he's like this trunk of the tree and we're sort of the branches. And if we stay connected to the trunk, our lives will be filled with all kinds of, you know, fruit. But if the branch disconnects from the trunk, there's not going to be much fruit at all. And then he goes on to say in the next couple of verses, verse 11 in John 15, I've told you these things that you'll be filled with, say it with me, my joy. What a riveting statement. And then watch what will happen. Yes, your joy will overflow. That's what God wants for you. That's what Christmas is all about. That God takes a little bit of the joy inside of himself and he puts it inside of you so that it becomes your joy and your joy will overflow. But if we go back to the song, the first line in the song Joy to the the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Just because he came doesn't mean we get to access the joy. You've got to open your heart. So I got a simple, simple question today. Have you opened up your heart? I'm not talking about have you opened up your head. I'm not talking about if you took a test or some sort of uh, uh, exam or, or, or uh, you know, one of those things they call you on. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. <laughs> and they ask you this question, do you believe in God? I'm not talking about answering yes to a, some sort of phone call. Yes, I believe in God. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm not even asking if you come to church on a regular basis. I'm not even talking about church attendance. Do you come to church? Yes, I'm not even asking that. I'm asking you the most important question of your life. Have you opened your heart to Jesus? Because that is how you access the joy. He's come to dwell inside of you, to live in you, to take the joy that he has and put it in you. This is how we experience joy. In fact, in Revelation chapter three, the last book of the Bible, we read this incredible passage. I think it was written and spoken to a specific church at that time, but I think in general, it's written to all of us as well. Listen to these powerful words. Look, this is Jesus. I stand at the door and knock. It's like your heart has a door. And the doorknob to open it is on the inside, not the outside. Know this, Jesus will never force his way into your heart. He will never open up the door from the outside and invite himself in. He won't do it. He will knock and he will call your name and he will ask you to come in. And if you hear his voice, here's the the challenge. Open the door of your heart from the inside. And watch what Jesus says. I will come in and I will share a meal with you as friends. 
such an odd statement. Originally, at a surface level, it's like, what? How do you go from knocking to eating? Well, when you, when you understand the context of, of New Testament times and Jesus' time, to have a meal with someone was to, was to tell them, I totally accept you. You and I are good. We are friends. We are connected. Jesus says, if you will open up the door of your heart from the inside, I will come in and we will have fellowship. We will eat together. We, I will receive you. This is not about becoming a church attender or some sort of you know, theist that believes in a, in a general idea of God. This is about God invading your heart and filling your life with joy and peace. Now, when I heard the message put that way, when I was 17 years old, I was like, done. God wants to live in me. He loves me that much. He loves me so much that he would die on the cross for my sin to wipe away the curse that was plaguing my soul. That's what he did for me. And then three days later, he rose again so that I could be one of his kids. I'm, I'm, I'm a goner. Like when I put my faith in Jesus, I didn't put my faith in a church or a religion. I asked God to invade my life. And, and I'm laying that same challenge before you today. If you hear him knocking, open the door. He died on the cross for your sins. He paid the price to reverse the curse in your life. Receive your king today. He came for you. If that's where you're at today, I'm going to say a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Take these words. It's, this prayer is you opening the door of your heart to Jesus. Will you pray today? I invite you. Just say this to him. Dear Jesus, I hear you knocking. In fact, I've heard it for a while. I hear your voice. And today I'm listening. I open my heart to you. I open the door. Enter in. I invite you in. Your spirit. Your presence. Fill me with your joy and your peace. I trust in you today. I believe you came to this earth to die for me to remove the curse of sin. I believe you paid the price I couldn't pay so that we could share a meal together and have fellowship. I trust you. I put my confidence in you, put my hope in you. I ask you to be my savior today. And from this day forward, have your way in my heart. Make your home there, dwell there, and rule there. I give you permission. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church? Amen. Come on, nice and loud, all of our campuses. 
you just prayed that prayer, we'd love to put a saved box in your hand. There's some helpful instructions in here. Most importantly, there's a Bible to start reading and there's a reading plan. If you would text the word SAVE to 65248, if you just opened up your heart to Jesus, you can grab one of these at the information desk at your campus. If you're watching online, give us a little bit more info and we'll send one to you in the mail. Hey, next week, really quick, just so you know what's coming. Uh, very excited. We're gonna be going through the song. Um, what song are we doing? Go tell it on the mountain. That's right. Came right, came right back. It's going to be awesome. I want to encourage you to invite your friends. It's going to be a lot of fun next week. And so I'm going to pray and then dismiss us to our local teams. Father, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and as a baby. Thank you for being willing to humble yourself and be born in a, in a manger, in a barn. Thank you for living this life for 33 years and dying on the cross for our sins that we might have life. Help us to tap into the joy that is inside of you by opening our hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Right now, hand things off to the local teams.